Welcome back to the Leveling the Field podcast. I am your host, Tim Calise, And on today's show, we're going to talk about why you should stop writing business plans in favor of a very quick, iterative process where you can test, validate, then build so you can save yourself time and money and have an existing set of clients ready, willing, and desiring what you have to offer. I want to take a few minutes today to talk about why you should stop writing comprehensive business plans. And this is in response to a couple of conversations that I've had recently, specifically with first-time business owners and entrepreneurs. And I encourage them to shift their focus from writing a comprehensive business plan to a much more agile testing mindset, which would allow them to get to market faster, find product market fit faster, and generate revenue more quickly. And this is rooted in the idea that success cannot be realized in a vacuum. And I think I personally actually fell into this trap earlier this year where, you know, you you lay out your ideas, you lay out where you think you're going to go, and you keep tweaking it until it's just right. And the reality is you won't know what's going to work until you take action. You know, it's funny because when we kind of pull back and, and step back for a moment, we're all familiar with the phrase, the only constant is change. Well, if that's the case, then spending significant amounts of time laying out how the future is going to look or how your idea is going to uh, kind of fit into the next you know, months and quarters and years to come, the reality is if the only constant is change, well, then we should be prepared and be flexible and take that into account in the beginning. So before I jump in, many of you may be thinking to yourself, well, we have to write a business plan because our bank required it. Uh, if we're looking for for financing, our investor, an, a potential investor would want a business plan. Uh, so we have to do this. And in my opinion, if you are relying upon the business plan to be the evidence that you are worthy of receiving financial support, you've, you're too early. And I'll talk a little bit about why that is. So th- I want to talk about three key concepts today. You know, the first is how a comprehensive business plan is really old school thinking and the world and the market dynamics have changed and there's a better way to, to go about that. The second is the idea of fixed versus growth mindsets, because uh, as we think about what a business plan represents, the best entrepreneurs and the most successful ones that I know have more of a growth mindset where many that are relying upon that uh, that business plan have more of a fixed mindset. Uh, so the third is the concept of pivoting. And I want to highlight this because you know there are some great successes, especially in technology that we're all familiar with today that came out of the idea where the founders started with one thing and then ended up pivoting or, or changing their, their thought process. So, you know, we know that success doesn't happen in a vacuum, but success is a method, in my opinion. It's not a design. And I think the, the idea of sitting down with a drafting table or the equivalent uh, and saying, you know, I'm at point A and we're going to go to to point B and we're just going to map the whole thing out, that is the way it's going to be, is quite frankly, I just think naive thinking. And I think it comes from a position of fear and control rather than facing the realities of, of what is to come. And so, so I would ask you, you know, when was the last time, you know, things you you built a, a long-term plan uh, and they went exactly the way you laid it out. 
probably not often and probably not in recent memory, at least something that, that was, uh, you know, months and quarters and years in, in duration. And you might be thinking, you know, this is just the way it's been done. You know, we, we lay out a plan and then we, we realize the plan. And I think we're seeing more and more examples now of where there's a different approach to this, which actually can yield a better result. So the good news is stay to the end because I have a, a way that you can think about this. If, if you are the planning type and want to have a process, that is what I would focus on is how do you build a methodology or a process around planning and around evolution so that you can be successful. So let's jump in. So the first is, if we look back through kind of recent history, even over the last you know 25 to 50 years, you know the idea of building a comprehensive business plan was a, a really valuable tool. It was a, a communication tool. It was a thinking tool, and it allowed owners and business and founders to be able to articulate what they believed the world could be by bringing their product or or service to market. But you also have to remember. This is pre-internet. This is in many ways kind of pre-instant communication, etc. So the idea was the world just moved slower. And so you didn't have all of the opportunities that we have today. So, so the idea was you had to be able to articulate, do most of the thinking kind of pre-go-to-market or, or pre-action stage because you needed to be able to to dedicate your resources and kind of keep your focus in in one specific way. So if you went out without thinking through what you wanted to do, you could spin your wheels and and really never get off the ground. But the reality is times have changed. And in today's environment, we have never had a better chance or a better opportunity or a better kind of playing field to be able to take a, a nucleus, a small bit of an idea and go out and test and test quickly and test with many, many, many cycles as quickly as we want to in order to find the answer. So we don't have to do all of that thinking ahead of time. We can now actually have an idea and, and just a, a problem or a, or a potential solution. And you can see very quickly whether the market agrees or not. And I think it's also important to note, cost is huge, is obviously a big component here. So if you wanted to test an idea in you know, 25, 30, 40 years ago, you might have to spend money on direct mail. You might have to spend money on expensive paid advertising, whether it be you know, print ads or whatever the, whatever the thing is. And if you, if you didn't get it exactly right, you can waste a lot of, uh, a lot of your uh, very valuable capital. Today, you can spend $50 on a Facebook ad targeted towards a specific audience or even a Google ad or, or on a free basis, you know, there's groups out there that you can go out and say, you know, here's an idea that I have, here's how I would potentially solve it. You know, what do you think? And so I think what is the, if we recognize that the world that we live in today allows for very, very efficient testing at a very, very low cost or even potentially free, you know, what stops someone from taking advantage of that? And I think I fell into this trap earlier this year, and it became very clear to me that it was less about the process, the right process, uh, or the abilities that we have, or the opportunities we have in front of us. I think it leads more towards mindset. And the more you can get into a learning mindset rather than a validation mindset, you will be more successful, which leads us into kind of the second point. 
which is a fixed versus a growth mindset. And I still remember the, the moment that I heard of Carol Dweck uh, and her book Mindset, and it completely changed how I saw myself and how I saw other kind of other people and other situations. And the reality is that every successful business owner and every successful entrepreneur that I know has more of that growth mindset. And for those that are not familiar with the concept, at the very, very high level, the difference between the two is a fixed mindset basically says, I know what I know and I apply that to the world. And it's kind of a, uh, I have my set of tools and I have my set of thinking and it's not going to change. And, you know, especially when we're, we're in kind of our younger years in in school, it's like that person is smart or that person is something, meaning kind of we have a, a, a set of characteristics that are innate to us and effectively don't change. We just let the story play out. A growth mindset means I have the ability to learn new things. I can adapt. I can become something different. If there's a, a something I need to know, I, I, I have the capability and capacity to learn that, whatever that skill is, or, or go find that information. Uh, and I think that's where the critical kind of juncture comes, which is if you have a certain set of kind of fixed characteristics and, and fixed viewpoint, well, then if what you're trying to accomplish is not possible with that set of, uh, of tools, then the next kind of natural evolution of that thinking is, well, then I'm going to fail because I don't, I'm not equipped to actually do what I'm set out to do. But with a growth mindset, it's I, I am interested in finding the answer and I can change myself, my thinking, my methodologies to suit whatever it's going to take to be successful. And so it's finding out the right answer rather than more of a fixed mindset, which is I know what I know and I need to go out to the market to validate that what I think is, is correct. So if, if you're thinking about this, uh, I would encourage you to, to not be afraid. And well, first of all, I'd encourage you to think, you know, what are the bottlenecks that are keeping you from participating 100%? And more often than not, it's our thoughts or our mentality or the, the traits that we have and the things that we believe about ourselves and our, our capabilities and the fear of potential failure that holds us back. It has very little to do with anything else. You know, and throughout the course of time, there have been some very, very successful folks who, you know, weren't afraid of kind of trading the the, the good for great. Uh, some folks, I spend a lot of time in the technology industry and, you know, Twitter, which we know obviously right now is kind of front page news. You know, Twitter was once another concept called Odeo and it was a, a, a different platform and, and the nucleus of what Twitter is today was carved out of or evolved out of that first iteration. Instagram was branded something else. Uh, Bourbon was the, the name. So the founder of Slack and actually the photo sharing platform Flickr, a guy named Stuart, he and a team had created a video game app effectively or a, a a video game technology and they realized that kind of the in-game one of the in-game kind of messaging components was one of the things that people cared the most about and actually was the most valuable so uh, they actually carved out the idea of being able to share photos that became Flickr, and then they carved out and and kind of segmented out and decided to to shift or pivot from being a video game provider to to focusing their efforts primarily on the the messaging technology uh, which was built inside 
outside of their their core product, and that has since become Slack, which was uh, effectively a you know a, a twenty plus billion dollar business uh, out of one component of a larger product. But that is where all the value was, and so I think that these you know these examples and and there's many 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 more. It's it's less I think we when a lot of us think about what a pivot means, a pivot can usually be translated as you know a last ditch effort before you run out of out of financing or uh, time or, or effort or whatever it might be it's kind of a last ditch effort around viability i think equally important to recognize is understanding what is the core value driver what is the thing that people care the most about is not about viability it's a, it's about opportunity there are opportunities that will present themselves where you can build a much bigger much more sustainable and in many cases a much more simple business focusing on the thing that is most valuable to your to your clients and and to your to your customers and that is when a feature can become a business and so if if all of this makes sense i actually recently did a um, a presentation for a group on on how we took kind of that core nucleus of of what our fitness, uh, our fitness business that we had for uh, almost a decade, uh, how we were able to distill that down into the most important pieces that our customers cared about and our members cared about. And that led to us quadrupling. We had a 4x uh, in our monthly revenue per client by going through that process. So if that's of interest to you, head over to timcalise.com. That's T-I-M-C-A-L-I-S-E.com forward slash mistake uh, and you can watch uh, a recording of that and you can even schedule some one-on-one time that resonates with you we can go deeper into uh, into your business case i promised you that there's a better way to think about this rather than you know writing a, a comprehensive business plan in a vacuum the best way to think about this and the most successful way i've seen people apply it uh, is as follows pretty much every business starts with a problem you know what is something that you're trying to solve and then I've seen if if you're unclear if this is kind of in a in an industry that you're not familiar with the first thing I would do would be to go into a Facebook group, a LinkedIn group, a local group, you know, in your neighborhood that has the the type of people that would benefit from solving that problem or the the type of people that have that problem as well. And I would go into those groups uh, and into those experiences and say, hi, I'm Tim. I'm thinking about starting a business around solving this problem. I'd love to just kind of hear your perspective. What what would success look like for you? And you can kind of take that information and triangulate that against your own experience to come up with a potential solution. And then I would go back to that group or others that look similar and say, hi, my name is Tim. I've created this this solution to this problem, if that sounds interesting to you as a free trial or some version like that or a low ticket, the idea is not to maximize revenue at this stage. The idea at this point is to get as many initial customers as you can that look similar that are, you know, kind of a, they call this an, an avatar, the type of, of person or persons that look the same, that all have the same problem. So you can put your solution in front of them and get feedback. So you have a problem, you get a kind of a, build a potential solution, uh, and then you go out to them and say, here are the details of that solution. Now I'm going to note right now that this is before you have built it. 
This is before you have actually done anything. You haven't spent any money on building the solution yet. It's all a concept. The first is a problem. The second step is a, a very high level 30,000 foot view concept of how you would solve the problem. Third is a de more detailed uh, kind of outline or skeleton, a structure of how what that solution looks like, because then you'll understand whether that resonates with um, with the market. And then the next stage after that is to create the smallest version of the solution of, of whatever the product or service is that you possibly can, and then put it in front of those people. And from there, you are now in the kind of iteration process. And so you take that, you deploy it to that first, you give it to those first, call it a beta group or an alpha group, like that first adoption, and then you get feedback. And then you iterate and hand it back to them again and see if it improves. And the speed you can do this is how quickly you will get to what's called product market fit. But the important thing to understand is you are now building a product with an existing customer base that you already know, and you're not doing it out of your own belief system of what the market wants. The market is telling you what it wants, and you are in turn building it and reflecting it back to them. They then consume it. You get additional uh, insight into what the, the problem is if, and tweaking it over time. And then once you have that dialed in, you solve the next problem. In software development over the last couple of decades, there has been a shift in how software is built. If you go back a couple of decades, and I had the opportunity to work with some amazing software developers over the last 10, 15 years uh, of my career, there was a concept that was basically you'd go out, you'd build a really, really big piece of software, and it would take you years and millions of dollars to build, and then you'd go and bring it to market. Think of like an operating system, like, you know, we, we're going to build Microsoft Windows or, or something like that. So you spend tons of time, tons of energy before you generate revenue, and you've built this behemoth of, of a piece of software, and then you go take it to market. That idea is no longer kind of accepted as the way to build software. Right now, the way to build software is you build the smallest possible version called a minimum viable product or an MVP. You then take it to market with a skeleton version. You get feedback, then you build the next feature. You tweak the existing stuff, and then you build the next feature. And the next feature solves the next problem that that avatar, that, that customer has. So if you feel like you have to raise money and getting back to where I started, if you're raising financing, if you're taking investment because you need to build something big before the market sees it, I would challenge you to think what is the smallest possible step you can take. And if it's in the software space, you know, if it, if it, I need to build something and that takes money and people and, and potentially a capacity that or capability that you don't currently have, put it on, an, a, on a Google Doc or an Excel spreadsheet and say, if I built this thing, would you buy it? Does that solve the problem? And you will get feedback from people to validate that you're on the right track before you go out and build anything. You'd also be amazed at how inexpensively you can build some basic software these days. Uh, and so don't let that be 
just don't fall into the trap of needing to spend you know tens of thousands hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars building something before you're able to generate revenue and all of this is to say the reason you should stop writing business plans is because you are most likely by building a comprehensive business plan you are over engineering your plan so start small uh, and I would encourage you to before you build validate then build and just like the old adage uh, you know, measure twice cut once uh, I would encourage you to test 10 times before you build once so hopefully that was valuable we'll see you guys on the next episode